0: So I want you to think about this question as we begin to read this passage. If the people in your life were asked to describe you, what do you think they would say? Think about that for a minute. You know, one of the things I love about Romans 16 is that Paul takes the time to speak very affectionately about what we might call ordinary Christians, just common, regular people. But I want you to know that regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill type of Christians are very important, very important. You are just as much of a child of God as the most famous pastor or Christian author in the world. And I want you to understand how vitally important you are in God's plan and in God's church. And so as we read and we examine this passage, I want you to try to find where you might fit in. Which of the people in Romans 16 fit you? And so if you do have a Bible... Turn to Romans chapter 16, we'll look at verses 1 through 16, and uh, we are in this series called Romans Mercy to All, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. You're You're invited to follow along in your Bible, or the verses will appear on the screens behind me. And so if you found Romans chapter 16, verse 1, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Kencrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles. Who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Trifosa workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Philegon Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus, and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all of the saints who are with them. Greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Father in heaven, I pray that you grant us insight into your word so that we might leave this room changed, that we might leave this room better, and that we might leave this room understanding who it is that we are in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first person mentioned in this uh, list is a woman named Phoebe. Paul writes in verse 1 again, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant at the church, which is at Cancria. Now, Paul devotes two entire verses to Phoebe, and he lists her first, and the question is why? Well, Phoebe is the one who took this letter that we call the Book of Romans, when Paul originally wrote it, And she traveled hundreds of miles from Corinth, where it was written, all the way to Rome. She personally delivered this letter to the church at Rome. You see, Paul had the call of God on his life to take the good news of Jesus Christ to people who had not yet heard the gospel. And Paul had taken the gospel everywhere in, we might say, modern-day Turkey, everywhere to the east of Greece, He had taken the gospel to Greece, modern-day Greece, and he wanted to go to modern-day Italy, to Rome, and even beyond. His goal was to eventually get to Spain and take the gospel there. You see, the rest of Paul's life depended on this letter reaching Rome. Paul wrote the book of Romans in part to prepare that city as his new home base, as he could go further west to Spain. And if Paul was going to make it to Spain, he needed Rome to be his new base, and he needed this letter to prepare the church of Rome to receive him and to make preparations for his further ventures. And so Paul, writing there in Corinth, would only trust the delivery of this letter to the most responsible and trustworthy person. and That was this woman named Phoebe. You see, Phoebe would end up traveling from southern Greece hundreds of miles to Rome, Italy with this letter that we call Romans. And once she arrived, a pastor of that church would take the letter and he would read the letter out loud to the church. Eventually, In that very first reading of the book of Romans, that pastor would get to what we call Romans 16, verse 1, where it mentions Phoebe by name. And there's Phoebe standing there in the midst of the rest of the church. And Paul is commending Phoebe to the rest of the church. The very person who delivered this letter to the Romans is not only standing in their midst, but she receives from Paul a greater commendation than anyone else whose name was about to be read. The church at Rome learns that Phoebe is not only a Christian sister, but she's also a servant of a church at Kencrea, which is essentially a suburb of Corinth, where Paul is writing this letter. He calls her a servant. The word servant is the Greek word diakonos, the same word that we get for deacon. Question, was Phoebe Phoebe a female deacon? Or we might say a deaconess of the church? Well, what you have to understand is that Christians can function as a servant without holding the office of deacon. In fact, it took some time before the, the function of being a servant became a deacon. What do I mean by that? Well, in Acts chapter 6, you go back to Acts chapter 6, there was a need for some people to serve food to some widows, and if suitable people could be found, then that would free up the church leaders, the apostles, to keep their focus on ministering the Word of God to the church and, and to pray for the church. And so seven men were found, and they were selected for the task, and these men functioned as servants before deacon became a formal physician in the church. In early church history, a formal office of deacons was developed and even developed before the first century was complete, before scripture uh, was finished in the first century. And a little bit later in church history, there was an office of female deacons that was established. These female deacons took care of fellow believers who were sick, the poor, strangers passing through, and the imprisoned. And they also took great care to help baptize and disciple women converts, and to teach and instruct children and women. But at the time of the writing of Romans, about A.D. 58, the office of deacon itself had not been fully established. 1 Timothy 3, which gives the qualifications of what it means to be a deacon, had not yet been written. It would be a few years later. And so whether or not Phoebe held the office of deacon is secondary because she is commended for her life exemplified what it means to be a true servant of God. And that is what Paul focuses on. Let me ask you a question. What do you think it would look like if every person in our church was a true servant of God? I mean, what if people started saying this about you? That guy or that gal, they must be a deacon because they're always serving other people. I mean, wouldn't that be the best kind of false accusation made against you? That someone might accuse you of being an official in the church, an official servant in the church, because your whole life is spent serving other people? That's the kind of person Phoebe was. And Paul has more to say about Phoebe in verse 2. He instructs the church in Rome at verse 2. He says he wants them to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Phoebe may have needed a place to stay in Rome. She may have had business matters to attend to in Rome and she should be helped by the church. Because she herself was a helper. The word helper means that she was a patron. It was a word used a patron, like you hear patron of the arts. But she was a patron of the kingdom of God. She used her wealth to financially support the expansion of God's kingdom. She gave her money to Paul for missions. She gave her money to the church to support those who were poor. Phoebe supported Paul's efforts to take the good news of Jesus to people who had not yet heard. And the very fact that Phoebe herself had had taken this letter of Paul's to his new home base for mission further enables him to obey God's call upon his life. And therefore, Paul calls upon the church, give her any type of assistance she needs because she is invaluable to the work of God. You help her because she helps us all. You know, we need women like Phoebe who are willing to do whatever it takes to carry out God's desire to save people. Sometimes people, Christians, like to ask one another, you know, when you get to heaven, which one of those Bible heroes do you want to talk to, sit down and have a chat with? And I don't know who's on your list. Phoebe's on mine. She's on mine. What an incredible woman. She must have been. Another couple on my list are Prisca and Aquila. Verses 3 to 5. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only I do, do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. Here's the story of Prisca and Aquila. Aquila and Prisca, sometimes in the Bible, more often than not, her name is written out in this longer form, Priscilla. But I'll call her (coughs) Prisca for this passage today. Aquila and Prisca, they were husband and wife. And they were excellent students of God's Word. Excellent teachers of God's Word. Wherever they ended up living, they lived in Rome, and they moved to Corinth, and they moved to Ephesus. Wherever they ended up living, they opened up their homes that the church would have a place to meet. And at one point, while they were in Ephesus with Paul, you might recall in the book of Acts that a riot broke out. Paul was just about to be on the worst end of that riot, but he escaped. And perhaps that's what Paul meant and he says that they risk their own necks to rescue him. You know, we need people like Prisca and Aquila, husbands and wives who open up their homes and they partner together to teach God's people. I think we've got some people like that here. We need more people like that. Verse 5, Paul says, Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. You know, I'm a a city boy. I grew up in Houston and Dallas. The smallest town that I ever lived in growing up was Lubbock, Texas. And uh, so I didn't ever raise anything on a farm, but I'm told that when a farmer plows the ground and he plants the seeds, he eagerly awaits the very first sign that his crop will be successful. And it's quite an encouragement to him. When that crop starts to come in. That's what we call the first fruits. The very first part of the crop to bloom or to come in. And see, when Paul traveled some years before to Asia Minor, to modern-day Turkey, he went with the anticipation that what God had placed in his heart would bear fruit. So when he shared the good news of Jesus Christ, it must have been incredibly encouraging for him when that very first person, Epinetus, said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. We need people like Epinetus whose faith inspires us to continue serving God. Verse 6, Paul writes, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is a different woman named Mary. And all that we know about this Mary is that she worked hard. Hard. This means that she toiled away at a task to the point of exhaustion. That's what worked hard means. You know, we need women like this Mary who finish the task and whatever God gives them to do. Verse 7, Paul writes, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. These two Jewish believers came to faith in Christ very early in the history of the church. And so they must have been living in Jerusalem or or near Jerusalem because that's where the gospel was at the beginning. And we understand that they served under the apostles in the spreading of the good news of Jesus. And apparently they were so successful in their evangelistic efforts that they ticked off the authorities and got arrested. Perhaps you remember... A little something about Paul's life, that before Paul became a believer in Jesus Christ, he was what? He was a Pharisee, and he was not only a Pharisee, but he was sort of put in charge of rounding up the Christians, rounding up this new movement, and persecuting people, and imprisoning people, and beating people. He was even there when Stephen received the stoning and died for the faith, becoming the first Christian martyr. Paul says that Adronicus and Junius, and sometimes uh, we don't know if it's Junius, which would be a male, or Junius, which would be a, a female, and they might have been husband and wife if they were female, but, uh, but regardless, Paul mentions them as kinsmen, and perhaps if they truly were relatives of Paul, maybe when Paul was persecuting the church, these two were praying for him. These two might have even witnessed it. We don't know. Wouldn't that be something? We need people like Adronicus and Junius who are willing to risk everything in order to tell people about Jesus. In verses 8 and 9, Paul refers to three men, and he he calls them either beloved or fellow worker. He says in verses 8 and 9, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Ampliatus was a common slave name. And listen, if slaves can be somebody in God's kingdom in the church, then we should always remember that social status, economic status, is not important. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your past holds or how much money you have. In Christ, we're all equal. Every last one of us urbanus and stachus they were not well known but they too were very highly regarded by paul and i think that we need people like Ampliatus and urbanus and stachus who came from various backgrounds but in christ they are united they are united in verse 10 the first part paul writes greet apellus the approved in christ that word approved means that apellus had been tried and tested that word approved is usually used of metals that are put to the fire. And those metals become more and more pure because they're, they've been put to the fire. And now, in in his life, he, he had been put through the fire. He had been put through struggles and difficulties, and yet he maintained his faith through it all. And we need men like Apollos who have endured those difficulties and those struggles and those trials, yet their faith grows stronger, not weaker. Because of it. Then Paul mentions some people who apparently were connected with the aristocracy of Rome in verses 10 and 11. He says, Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Do you remember Herod the Great? You remember the Bethlehem massacre? Herod the Great was the one who. Tried to kill Jesus and ended up killing all the male babies in Bethlehem under two. Herod the Great's grandson was a guy by the name of Herod Agrippa the First. In Acts chapter 12 we learn about that guy. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death. He had Peter arrested, but Peter escaped. And when the guards couldn't find Peter, Herod Agrippa the First had the guards executed. Not a nice guy. Considering his grandfather, maybe not a surprise. Well, Herod Agrippa I had a brother. His brother was a private citizen who lived in Rome. His brother's name was Aristobulus. A very unique name. Probably the very same Aristobulus that we read about in this verse. And as far as we know, Aristobulus himself was not a Christian, but the people in his household, perhaps some slaves, were Likewise, Herodian, the next one mentioned, he was a freed slave who was also part of Herod's household. A lot of times slaves would take the name of their master. And Narcissus, we know about Narcissus, he was a close aide of the former emperor Claudius who had ruled a few years before. And Paul sends his greetings. In fact, he actually tells the church to greet those that are in Narcissus' household. You know, we need believers like Herodian and the the unnamed people and the households of Aristobulus and Narcissus who infiltrate every aspect of society from politics to sports to entertainment to schools because they have an influence there but the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, we read, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord? Tryphena and Tryphosa were likely sisters. Their names mean dainty and delicate, and they, along with Persis, were likely former slaves, but now they were free. They were we call it freedmen, but they were all women, freed women, and they devoted their time to work hard in the church. By the way, this is not the first time that Paul has said someone worked hard. In verse in chapter 16. What's interesting to me is that the only people that Paul says worked hard were women. Maybe that's because the women had more time than the men if the men were off doing their, their jobs to make a living, but maybe it's because women are just harder workers than men. I don't know. I will say this. An early church father by the name of Christosom or Chrysostom, I should say, said that the Christian women of the first century were more spirited than lions, sharing with the apostles their labors for the gospel's sake. In this way, they went traveling with them and also performed all other ministries. I think we need women like Trophina and Trophosa and Persis who are spirited workers christ verse 13 paul says greet rufus a choice man in the lord also his mother and mine rufus was an extraordinary christian because of his character because of his actions and he came from good stock rufus's daddy was simon of cyrene who carried jesus's cross And so when Paul tells the church to greet Rufus and his mother and mine, he's indicating that Rufus' mother provided and cared for Paul as if Paul was one of her own kids. You know, we need grown sons and their mothers like Rufus and his mother to show us how to pass the faith along from generation to generation. The next two verses mention two groups of five people each. Most likely, each of these groups represented members of a house church that Paul knew. Verse 14, Paul mentions the first house church. Greet Asyncritus, Philegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. In the next verse, he mentions the other house church. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. We don't know a lot about these people, but I do, I do know this. We need small groups of believers to come together to share life and faith with one another in a way that's maybe not possible in a larger setting such as we find ourselves right now. You know, up to this point, Paul has mentioned an awful lot of people. But what I want you to notice really is that he didn't greet these people. He told the church to greet them. And this is weird. This is strange. It doesn't make any sense. At least not on the surface. Why should the church at Rome be told to greet people that were already there? I mean, if I was away and I sent a letter back to this church I probably would not say to the entire congregation, make sure you greet Gary Jameson, because you'd be like, well, he's already here. Why do we have to greet him? We see him every, every Sunday. doesn't make any sense. But there's a reason Paul does this, and it has to do with who these certain individuals are. You see, all of the people that Paul named are either Jewish Christians or they are closely associated with Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians, the prominent ones that were in Rome in the year A.D. 50, had been exiled. Eight years before Paul wrote this letter, the Emperor Claudius kicked all Jews out of Rome, except for maybe some slaves. But he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. So these people, including these Jewish Christians, they lost their businesses, they lost their homes, And now that Claudius was dead and there was a new emperor, they had come back to Rome. And yet, these Jewish Christians were still marginalized by the government. They were still marginalized by society at large. And Paul wants the Christians in Rome, who are mostly Gentile, to embrace these marginalized Jewish Christians and those connected to them. I mean, many of these Jewish Christians very well may have been what Paul calls weak Christians in chapters 14 and 15. People who restricted themselves from eating certain types of food on the basis of personal convictions. But Paul wants to make sure that Christians don't further marginalize these other Christians over secondary issues, especially when there's so much that binds us together. And so Paul tells the church at Rome Over and over again in chapter 16, greet them. But the word greet doesn't mean say hi to them. To greet them means to embrace them. Wrap your arms around them. Treat them as family. Welcome them into your own home, into your circle of friends. See, what Paul is doing is he is doing everything he can to create a new social dynamic that breaks down any barriers of ethnicity or class or wealth, what matters in our relationships is our common faith in Christ. And so when we truly embrace and wrap our arms around one another, and especially those whose society might otherwise marginalize, when we treat one another as family and close friends, then the very final command that Paul gives makes perfect sense. He says in verse 16, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Paul is telling the church at Rome, Do for your own fellow Christians in Rome what is being done for you. All of the other churches are embracing you. All of the other churches are watching what you will do. You see, as this Jesus movement, which began in Jerusalem, started moving further and further west, Christian eyes in the east have turned their attention to the capital city of Rome. Paul himself, who has started or built up so many churches in the east, will soon be coming to Rome so that he can take the gospel even further west to Spain. And all of those churches where Paul had been, they are looking to Rome to see what Rome will do. Will the church at Rome exemplify Christian love to believers of both Jewish and Gentile ancestry? Or will those ethnic and religious divisions separate the body of Christ into two camps. And if there is division among us, how badly will that hinder the message of Jesus going forth to people who have not yet heard? You see, God's people, God's people, you and me, His church, it's made up of sacrificial servants like Phoebe, it's made up of husband and wife partners and leaders of the church like Prisca and Aquila. It's made up of encouraging converts like Eponetus. It's made up of hard workers like Mary. It's made up of people who are willing to risk everything to tell people about Jesus like Adronicus and Junius. It's made up of people from various backgrounds like Ampliatus and Urbanus and Stachys. It's made up of people who have been through the fire like Apelles. It's made up of people in every part of, of society, like Herodian. It's made up of spirited workers for Christ, like Trophena and Trophosa and Persis. It's made up of one generation passing their faith down to the next generation, like Rufin, Rufus and his mother. It's made up of small groups of believers who share life and faith together. You see, every single person in this building is important to God and important to our church. If any one of us was removed, the character of our fellowship together would be greatly diminished. And even though we are individually very different, we cannot allow those differences to create divisions among us. And I would ask you to consider this question. Is there a division between you and someone else Who is among God's people. And if there is. You need to make it right. You need to do what you can. To make it right. Any divisive spirit among God's people. Hinders the gospel message. From being proclaimed. Divisiveness. Quenches. The spirit of God. And I would ask you this. As we close. And as we begin to sing. An invitational song. Perhaps today, instead of coming to the front, perhaps God would lead you to go to your brother or sister in Christ and ask for forgiveness if there is division between you. I pray that you will follow the Spirit of God in whatever He leads you to do.